Episode 51. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. The last episode ended with Polonius in full flight, holding forth with more words than might seem necessary about Hamlet's behaviour. He's really been stressing the point that he's faithful and honourable, to use Claudius's description, presumably to cover up that he's meddling and interfering with what could perhaps be written off as just two young people in love. But what would Gertrude and Claudius have thought of him if he'd observed this budding relationship with idle sight? God forbid he lose their good opinion. So he continues, explaining that... No, I went round to work, and my young mistress thus I did bespeak. Lord Hamlet is a prince, out of thy star. This must not be. And then I precepts gave her that she should lock herself from his resort, admit no messengers, receive no tokens. Which done, she took the fruits of my advice, and he, repulsed, a short tale to make, fell into a sadness, then into a fast, thence to a watch, thence into a weakness, thence to a lightness, and then, by this declension, into the madness wherein now he raves. And all we mourn for. Polonius really is a great man for the precepts. It seems that few moments pass between him and his children in which he doesn't find a means of sharing a few of his nuggets of wisdom, or what he might call wisdom. Polonius explains to Claudius that he told Ophelia, back in Act I, that she was to have nothing to do with Hamlet. Back then, his description was that Hamlet had a larger tether than may be given to Ophelia. Now, Hamlet, is a prince out of thy star. In other words, he's out of her orbit, her destiny, or even her social sphere. In other words, despite even Polonius's proximity to power, Ophelia has no chance with Hamlet. This must not be. Polonius reiterates his instructions that she should lock herself away from Hamlet's access to her, resort, admit no messengers, receive no letters or tokens. Ophelia seems to have done so, although in her description it seems that Hamlet had no difficulty getting into her chamber. As prince of the realm, perhaps nobody would have said no to him. Regardless, the plot has to keep moving, and so Hamlet did get through to Ophelia in her closet, in his peculiarly distressed state. She had perhaps taken the fruits of her father's advice, and she does repulse Hamlet. So the father insists. The folio says repulsed, but some editors choose to say repelled which would match directly with what Ophelia herself said in the previous scene. Shakespeare then gives a little gag for Polonius, having him preface the rest of his speech, saying, A short tale to make. Long story short is really not a phrase that we can associate with the senior statesman, as he immediately proves. Hamlet, repulsed or repelled by Ophelia, fell into a madness, then into a fast, thence to a watch, thence into a weakness, thence to a lightness, and by this declension into the madness wherein now he raves, and all we mourn for. So much for brevity being the soul of wit. I always enjoy the idea of Polonius getting 
rather excited over this description of Hamlet's distress as he falls further and further down this rabbit hole, before catching himself and realising that he's getting carried away in front of Hamlet's mother, herself liable to be distressed about all of this. And so he has to reel it in with the politically appropriate comment that, of course, everyone mourns for the prince's decline. Polonius here is describing Hamlet with all the symptoms of a lovesick romantic. He's fallen first into something like a sadness, then he stops eating in a fast, then he keeps watch, in other words, he cannot sleep, and then into a weakness, which is unsurprising in one who isn't sleeping or eating, and then to lightness or lightheadedness, again, not surprising. Hamlet isn't the first young man in Shakespeare to brood like this. When we first met Romeo, he was comparably forlorn, in love, he thinks, with Rosaline, and then in As You Like It, Rosalind has her wonderfully playful description of all the symptoms that a lover should display, which also echo Hamlet's current plight. The doleful lover was obviously a figure that Shakespeare's audiences were conditioned to recognise. Polonius plays on words here when he calls the process a declension. Obviously, there's the continued sense of Hamlet falling or declining through these stages, but declensions in classical grammar are the variant forms of a noun. So Hamlet is displaying the varied forms of distraught lover, and Polonius is showing how clever he thinks he is. Claudius has to wonder, though. He asks, Do you think tis this? Perhaps he's asking Polonius if he genuinely thinks that this is what's going on, or, in my opinion more likely, he's asking Hamlet's mother. Gertrude answers tentatively. It may be. Very likely. Does Gertrude think it might be something else? She's already tried to explain away Hamlet's sullen behaviour as a reaction to her o'er-hasty wedding. It'd be handy enough for her if Hamlet's continued strange behaviour could be blamed on someone else. Polonius answers too, and unsurprisingly brings it back to Polonius. Hath there been such a time, I'd fain know that, that I have positively said tis so when it proved otherwise. Polonius would really like to know if there's ever been a time when he stated that something was positively the case wherein it proved otherwise. Claudius replies, not that I know. The king acknowledges that, no, this has not been the case. Now Polonius points to his head and shoulders and says, take this from this, if this be otherwise. He's staking his life on this claim. Let Claudius take his head from his body if he's proved wrong. A more tepid version might be that he points to his staff of authority and suggests that it be removed from his hand, take this from this, but personally I prefer the more severe threat of decapitation. Having thus upped the stakes, Polonius offers to continue his great sleuthing work. If circumstances lead me, I will find where truth is hid, though it were hid indeed within the centre. In other words, if he can get his hands on enough circumstantial evidence, he will figure out the truth of this situation, even it's hidden at the centre of the earth. The centre of the earth was traditionally considered an impossibly difficult place to access. But, if he must, Polonius will go there to find the truth of this whole situation. For the actor playing Polonius, there's a lot going on here. His relationship with the king might be on the line, since his daughter and the king's stepson or nephew are at the heart of this whole affair. 
one hopes that there's also some concern from this father for his daughter's health and happiness. And who knows, perhaps there's even a relationship between Polonius and Hamlet himself. They've both spent their lives at court, after all, and so presumably there's some kind of a relationship to explore. Conveniently enough, Hamlet is about to re-enter, and we'll start to see what might be going on between these two men in the next episode. Until then, feel free to visit the website. As you know by now, it's thehamletpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, or even leave a review on iTunes if you feel like it. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.